Spirit, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are always welcome in our hearts. Lord, tonight we want to engage with you. We just don't want to sing it. We just don't want to go through the, uh, the motions of doing it. But Father, we want to surrender our hearts fully to you. That we may give every part unreservedly to you, Father, without holding back. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. We love you so much. and We want to be caught up in your presence. We want to be caught up with you. We want to be drawn to you tonight. Father, I just pray that every heart would be positioned to hear tonight. Positioned to hear and able to receive in the Spirit as the Word goes forth. Father, you want us to transition into who you created us to be. And tonight, Father God, I just pray that, Lord, our hearts would be willing to engage in that process. Oh, Lord, we pray tonight, Holy Spirit, come and position us in a fresh way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, team. And I'll just swap over. Right. Welcome, everybody. It's great to see you. And uh, thank you for coming out tonight. And uh, I mean, there's so many other things you could be doing. But there's something wonderful when we as a people come together and we gather around the Word, we gather in worship, we gather all these different things. It's just really something fantastic. And look at the new arrivals just arriving in here. Hey, let's give them a big hand, eh? Well done. Actually, shh, you'll wake the baby. <laughs> You wait. <laughs> no, it's fantastic news. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's been on my heart recently is about transformation. We hear a lot of, you know, people talking about transformation and, and changing and all that sort of thing, but have you ever asked the question, how do I transition? How do I change? How do I go from where I am into what you are doing? So I want to help you tonight. I want to just give you some uh, just practical steps that can help you be positioned so that you can go forward. Because we're all in this together as a body, as a family. So tonight what I'm talking about is clean sweep. Where God's going to clean the inside of us. Or clean them, particularly the filters of our minds. I don't know how many people have seen that, uh, that program on TV called Dirty Cities or filthy cities, or dirty cities. I don't know whether you've ever seen that. It's late on a Friday night. <laughs> but they've been going through, so the historian's been going through uh, these different cities. He's, so far he's touched London, Paris, and he did New York last week. My goodness. Some of the things, I'll tell you what, whatever you do, don't start eating when you're watching this program. <laughs> because it really will make your stomach tune. And they had, uh, I mean, in New York alone, particularly they had millions of migrants 
moving there, you know, in the 1850s right through to the 18, almost 1900s. And so they had all these immigrants coming through and people were exploiting them and putting them in the worst places to live and things like that. And in New York alone, they had about 196,000 horses. And they paid these cleaners to sweep up all the mess and so forth, but they didn't. They took the money and they did whatever they did with it. And so you had all this muck in the streets. And not only that, there was human muck, there was rubbish, there was everything you could think of in certain areas. It was so bad. And they showed this photo of it piled high against the building about that high. And the smell and the stench was awful. This was 1850s, right up into 1890s, basically. And they had about 20 or 30,000 of them die every year. It stank. Can you imagine living in something like that? Oh, I couldn't. <laughs> it's quite an amazing program, but oh, it's awful. And I won't tell you the origin of the American hot dog. You won't want to know. <laughs> you won't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back to my message about clean sweep. On the picture up above, how, how many people have actually been into the uh, Sistine Chapel in, in Rome and seen Michelangelo's picture or painting on the ceiling? I wish I, I wish I would have done, but I haven't. But, you know, if you could go to the next slide. He painted it in 1508. And it took him four years to paint that incredible picture. And so, as you know, it's been a marvel to generations, hasn't it? Right through for 500 years, people often go and see that, and it's just incredible. But uh, it survived wars, it survived vandalism, it survived plagues, it survived political upheaval, it did all sorts of things, earthquakes. But they discovered recently, well, well, not recently now, but in the 1990s they decided, well, we actually want to do something about this, make sure it's okay. So they actually began to shine lights on it to see how the painting was doing. And they discovered that there were layers and layers and layers of filth, of dirt, of dust, of candle smoke that had just built up over those 500 years on top of that, uh, on top of that painting. Now they decided that they were going to clean it up. Can you imagine if they got out a water blaster? What would that do to it? It would lift more than the dirt and paint off. <laughs> it would destroy it. I mean, it's a priceless piece of artwork, really, isn't it? You can't replace that sort of thing. It's too valuable to do a rush job on. So what they did, and you can see it on YouTube, they got the scaffolding all up and they got these... This, particular ointments and they got these little wee rags and they carefully did it in little bits of circles. I mean, that's a huge ceiling. But they did every bit and they had to go layer by layer by layer by layer until it got right back to what it was designed to be. I wonder if you can click onto the next slide. Can you see the difference? Look at the one there, hardly any colour and suddenly the colour. And so as they did it, it turned out Suddenly they saw life and light. If you go to the next one, that's how it was. Originally painted. It doesn't actually show up quite so well as um, if you see it on a thing. It's, but anyway, you can see there's so much more color there. There's so much more life. Suddenly as they finished it, they suddenly saw how beautiful it really was. 
Now the thing is that the creator, Michelangelo, that's exactly how he would have seen it. There's a lot of parallels in this, isn't there? When you think about our own lives. From a distance, our lives can look pretty okay. But when the light of God's love starts to shine in on us, suddenly all sorts of things can be seen or exposed. Some not quite so good. And so it's like our filters around our hearts and our minds can get clogged up with so many different things and we have to clean them out. You see, as I, I don't know whether you heard me say a couple of weeks ago, we had a problem with our DVS system. It wasn't working the way it was designed to do. And so, you know, suddenly we started to have um, condensation on the windows again and we thought, oh, no. So eventually I got the ladder out. I should have done this ages ago, but I got the ladder out. I finally went into the ceiling and guess what? The filter was so clogged up with dirt and dust, it could not function the way it was designed to. Once I replaced the filter, everything went fine. And it's the same thing with our hearts and minds. Not that we go out intentionally to get all this dirt and dust and you know stuff clung, clinging to us, but things happen in our lives that we you know never intended on happening. But things can cling to us that we can start to see out of filthy, dirty glasses. I don't know whether you know what it's like to wear glasses and you get dirt or smears on them. It's pretty hard to see. So you've got to keep them clean. I don't know if we really fully understand or realize the passion God has for us as his children. To see us actually walking in freedom and in life and in wholeness. And in order for him to bring us into that place, we have to allow him to shine in our hearts. We have to allow him to have access so he can set us free. But there is a process that takes place, one that we can't ignore, one that we can't hide from, hide from or try and skip around the corner or go underneath. We all need to walk on this particular process called transformation. However, we've, we've all grown up into a world that everything is at our fingertips, correct? If I want to contact Sandra, I just need to get my, my phone out and do a text and ding, she's got it. Or if I want to talk to my brother in England, I just need to pick up the phone or, you know, we've got Skype nowadays. We've got all sorts of things. Things are instant. Now, I was thinking, you know, if we go back 300 years, it took about six months to a year to come out by sailing ship to New Zealand. Hundred years ago, it took about two months to come out from England to New Zealand. Fifty years ago, it really did about five weeks. And now we balk at having to go on a, a plane flight that takes about 10 to 13 hours. <laughs> True? What's changed? Things have got faster. Things have got moving a lot quicker. And we want things instantly. But we've somehow lost what it is to actually persevere and work through a process for God to change us. We want things instantly. See, however, what we see in the world, we see instant, instant, instant. And so we see through those lenses and we apply it to what we think God's wanting to do. And so we're applying the world and say, God, why aren't you doing what the world's doing? 
But God's ways aren't our ways, are they? His ways are higher than our ways. And so forth. So we've got to see it through the lenses of him, not the world. You see, we want change, yes, but on our terms, change that will be painless, cost us nothing, and is in an instant whenever we want it. We dictate the terms. It's why we have to renew our minds. And sadly, I've seen this creep into a lot of um, people today in their Christian walk. If things start not going quite so well with them, they'll bomb out. And they'll think, oh, well, I can't get through this. But God is actually helping them to walk through it rather than skip out. I remember talking to a young man uh, a little while ago now, and it was really quite sad because as I was talking to him, I said, you know, I was talking about this process, and he said, well, I prayed to God for change. But if God doesn't turn up, I'm a busy person. I'm a busy person. So, you know, either he changes me and gets it done or not. And I thought, you know, God can't work with an attitude like that. We've got to say, God, I totally surrender to you. I can't change, but your power in me can. And sometimes God can jump, and sometimes God will do it over a process of time. Because imagine, you know, Getting that water blaster out, <laughs> it can be pretty painful. <laughs> so God does it beautifully in his time because he knows how we made and created. The result speaks for itself. We've raised up a generation or more of people. The transformation from the inside only partially or never happens at all. And we wonder why we feel frustrated that God doesn't do anything. Unfortunately, I've tried to do that too. I've wanted the shortcut. I've wanted the quick deal. But God's not prepared to do a rush job on me because I'm too valuable. And God's not prepared to do a rush job on you because you're too valuable. Just like that painting. It took him four years to paint it, but it took approximately ten years to restore it. Are we going to let God restore what's in here? Just reveal the real you? God's heart is to build his church the way he created it to be. It's different from the world, and therefore he will not be copying the world. So why are we chasing after the world? Hence we have to renew our minds, or we will chase after something that's already in the world that's not of him. You see, whatever God builds, whatever God builds lasts. Whatever man builds comes to nothing. And the church has become very good at building all sorts of things. And no matter how impressive it may look or seem, it has little or no impact in the kingdom of God at all. I know what I'd rather build. Something about what's happening in here. Somebody, somebody's objecting already, is it? <laughs> it's in English. It's in English. <laughs> very good. Uh, God builds with living stones, and he's putting us together. He's putting us together as living stones. And there is a refining thing, process that has to take place in order for us to fit together. And that process takes over time to grow, but it will last. And one thing he's wanting to do in his church is to put spiritual backbone 
back into the church. Where we don't wobble backwards and forwards when things go up and down, but we're able to stand straight and firm and walk through the process with confidence. And that's what God is wanting to do. But there is a process, a process in all of this. And God at the moment is shaking everything. Nothing is being left untouched. God is touching it and shaking those old foundations. That's part of the apostolic move at the moment. Where old foundations are being ripped up and those structures that were built, that were not of him, are falling away. Why? So that our dependency will be on him and him alone. And that strength will not come from something else. It will come from him. And therefore, no matter the storms that we walk through, suddenly we've got a stability about our walk because those things that were shaky are no longer there. He is our everything. You know, the process that I'm talking about really comes through a revelation. We have a revelation of coming into a new truth. When God reveals something to us, we think, my goodness. And out of that new truth, as we begin to come to that, we suddenly come to realize, you know, God begins to break us down. Brokenness is quite important. And then through the brokenness comes Repentance and confessing and then walking in a renewed mind and a transformed heart. I'll give you an example. I remember when I first got saved, I was a Catholic. And we were very strong Catholics, you know, and, and we prayed the rosary and we did all that sort of thing and praying to Mary and, and, and so forth. And basically I was immovable. That's what, how I was brought up. That was the camp that I was in. But when I got saved, things began to happen. Things begin to open up in my mind. As I began to read the Word, suddenly I saw things in there that I'd never seen before. And the truth suddenly hit me and I realized that Mary wasn't the one I prayed to, that she wasn't my intercessor, the one that I should be worshipping, that Jesus alone was the one. Can you imagine? I've been in this camp basically brought up all these years, I'm suddenly 19 years of age, and I'm suddenly faced with a reality that I'd never seen before. I was broken. I had a revelation of what the truth was. I was suddenly broken within. God, I was crying out. How could this happen? How could I be? You're the one. And then it brought me to a place of confessing and asking God to forgive me and renouncing that. And I was brought into a new freedom. I renewed my mind with what God said. And I came into a new reality. I was love. That was the transition. Did that happen just like that? It happened over quite a number of weeks. In fact, it was a number of months as God began to reveal that truth to me. It was quite painful. And anything that happens in our lives will happen through that as well. I mean, transformation really happens outside this process. We can have superficial things that can touch us. And we can be moved emotionally for a short time. But unless it's a deep work within, we will never transform. So that process is basically just a quick snapshot, snapshot of change. How do you change? When God speaks to you and shows you some truth that you hadn't seen before and you go through that process of wanting to change. 
And that really changed my heart. I mean, when we, when we look at Clay, for instance, he's not the same person he was two years ago. Did it just happen for him like that? No. God knew how Clay was wired. So God was walking with him through the process. And what an incredible transformation that's been taking place. But it's taken two years. Has he arrived? Have I arrived? Has anyone else arrived? No, because there's so much more to walk. So we go through the process over and over and over again. It just doesn't stop. Just because I found that one truth doesn't stop my growing. I've got more to learn and to grow in that. And it's just, it's really tremendous and I I really commend you, Clay, for the way that you transitioned through that. Was it easy for him? No. He had to let go of some old positions in order to enter into the new. He could have done a runner, he could have quit, he could have done all sorts of things, but he didn't. He said, God, I want to know. And he walked with God. And God was willing to, you see, God can walk with people like that. We hear Danny, uh, Danielle talking about what she did on that thing and how God has radically changed. Did that happen overnight? No, it didn't. It happened over a process of time. So allow God time to work in your hearts because you are too valuable for, valuable for him to just do a quick job. It's when we allow God to shine in our hearts that's when things become revealed. It says in 1 John 4 to 5, it says, In him we have life, was life, and the light, life, sorry, I'll start again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Can we allow that light to penetrate? 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's something very powerful when the word of God begins to shine in our hearts or the light of God and begins to transition us. But God doesn't do it to punish us. God doesn't reveal things in your life so that he can say, point the finger and pull you down. It's actually God does it so that you can be set free. But it's all the way that you look at it and see it. And one thing we have to learn to get rid of and deal with in our lives is get rid of the victim mentality. Because we can, that can be one position that can stop us from going forward. Oh, God can't really change me. God can't do this, God can't do that. Yes, he can. We've got to get rid of those things. Because sometimes when God touches a certain area or pulls down a certain foundation or, a, or uproots something, we can, we can pack a sad and think, oh, well, what's the point? But if God actually does it so lovingly because he's so passionate about you, he wants to bring you into something new. But we've got to first let go of that old thing. I was just reading an article the other day, a friend of mine who's an apostle and a prophet, and he wrote this article called 10 Toxic Addictions of the Modern Church. And that was one of them. It was quite a powerful article, it really is. But the fact is that we have to let go of those things because he's passionate about them. It's like letting the inspectors into Iran. Can they go in? Can't they go in? Can they go in? Yes, they can. No, they can't. Yes, they can. No, they can't. 
You know, are we allowed God to penetrate in? Or are we saying, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no? Why is it so important? Because he's coming back for a spotless bride who is intimate and in love with him, not one who is distant or unprepared and covered in muck. We are his bride whom he is preparing for the finish. And if we can capture that in our hearts, if we can see and understand that this process is actually helping us to get to the end, then we will see it in a different light. We'll be prepared to let go of things in order to get to that finish line unhindered or untangled from the things that stop us. You know, can you imagine an athlete who trains for the Olympics who is not prepared to sacrifice something? When they go for that goal, they have a goal. I'm going for that goal. They don't settle, I'm going to be last place at the Olympics. They go for that goal and their diets will change. Their training will be hard. They will go through the paces and they won't, they won't, you know, this could be three or four years of training hard, hard work and sacrificing a lot of things. I mean, some of those rowers weren't able to go to McDonald's and have a hamburger. Were they? Afterwards, they said, yeah, we'll go to the hamburger. But they had a goal in mind and they were prepared to lose all of that to gain that. It should be the same for us. Are we prepared to let go of all that to gain what God has for us? Or would we rather stick with our burgers, our this or our that? Can you imagine an athlete training uh, saying, woe is me, I'm training for the Olympics, I can't have this and I can't have that. Can you, have you ever heard one? No, because their goal is so focused out there. And I found there are areas of my life that I didn't realize needed overhauling. But when God's convicted me of the Holy Spirit and shown me different things, then I've had to surrender those areas to Him. Some things haven't been that big. Sometimes it could be an attitude. Sometimes it could be this. Sometimes it's something that's been ingrained that has to be outworked. And God wants to go deeper. But he didn't reveal everything to me all at once. I mean, that, that's the, um, the water blaster thing. He didn't. He, he knew how I was wired. So he's taken me step by step and worked on certain things as I go. That's how much he loves us because he knows how we're wired and how much we can take and how much we can't. He wants all to finish the race without all the entanglements and to be his bride. I mean, how many of us want to see miracles? How many of us want to see uh, the signs and wonders taking place and the prophetic utterances flowing out of this place? I don't know about you, but I want to see those things too. But it's not what we're chasing. We chase Him. And out of that, out of that close relationship flows those things automatically. They follow us. But the bit in between that is called the process. You know, Jesus said, I am the what? I am the, the way. The truth and life. You know what the word way means? I've said that before. It means I am the process. So he's the process. There's no other way around it. He is the process. Not this bit over here or this program over here or, or maybe this conference over here or maybe this. No, 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 no. He, he's the process. We, we can't bypass that. We've got to allow him in here because he's the process. 
Yeah, we want to skip from A to Z. It's a lot easier. But that's what we want to do. And all those things uh, come, uh, sorry, but everything flows out of our relationship. That God wants to stretch us so we can enlarge our capacity and grow with him. And it takes faith and trust in him to walk this process. To understand how passionate God is for us, I want to bring you to a passage where it's actually mentioned in all four Gospels about Jesus cleaning the temple. And I want to have a brief look at that because I want to show you some of the processes that are there that Jesus did. <clears throat> but before I do that, I just want to reiterate this is not designed to make you feel condemned or to feel, oh gosh. I want you to feel encouraged and built up and say, actually, I can do this. I can walk on this process. I'm going to lift up rather than feeling, because if you're feeling condemned, that's not from God. God wants to lift you up so that you're able to engage in the process and walk this, this uh, journey together. But let's have a look at this. Just remember, and I said it before, remember you are so valuable to him, he's not going to do a cheap job on you. Isn't that a huge plus? Not a negative. But let's turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Chapter Mark, sorry, Mark, chapter 11, verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things... As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And if we skip over to verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry the wares through the temple. And he taught, saying them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. See, Jesus arrives late in Jerusalem. Jerusalem really represents the church. Maybe you read the word about Jerusalem. It represents the church. And then it says he immediately goes into the temple. The temple was what? The heartbeat of the Jewish community. We have a temple here too. The heart, our hearts. And he enters. So it's almost the sense of being left outside and having to come in. You see, it's an interesting note. It's at late at night. He goes into the temple and it says he did one thing. He looked at all things. Isn't that interesting, that word, all? And he leaves. Isn't that interesting? He comes in at night, he looks at all things, and then he leaves. Quite interesting. <laughs> but sometimes there's a sense of coming in and going out, coming in and going out. I know Bill Johnson's written that book about hosting the presence of God. I mean, the Spirit of God dwells within us, but it's about hosting his presence. Can he rest upon you? Or is he coming off and on, off and on, off and on? 
And it's part of the process of learning to open up so that he rests upon you, that we may walk continually in his presence. It's a different, uh, different thing. But again, the process has to come because we're all complete in him. How do we abide in his presence? By spending time to get to know him. You become like you hang around, those you hang around. I'm sorry I didn't have a big formula for you. It was as simple as that. You have to learn to actually abide or intertwine with him. That's how things happen and change. That's the beginning part of the process. You see, you forget he sees all things. There's nothing we can hide from him. After all, he created you. He knows who you are better than you know yourself. And the amazing thing is that he sees who you were designed to be, not what you feel you are or you aren't, but sees us as we are in him. Isn't that neat? He sees us for who we are. And he's so passionate about seeing his children maturing and being creating Sorry, being who he created them to be. Not tossed to and fro. He wants to bring stability. That's why sight is so important. About being able to see what he sees. But it was late in the day, so he started in the morning. He came, comes back to the temple in the morning. The morning always speaks of a new day. A freshness. Anyway, he's in the temple. It says, he meant business. He went in, he began to overthrow the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. The first thing is he went in, he entered in. As I said, can we allow him in? Does he have access to our hearts? Does the king's domain rest upon us in here? And that only comes through surrendering to him. Or is he out there? He's either in here having dominion over your life or not, can we, the king is where the king's domain is. Is it in our hearts or not? Note, Jesus wasn't always welcome in the temple, was he? There were times when they wanted to kill the guy. He wasn't always welcome. And we often forget that our hearts are desperately wicked, it says in Jeremiah. So often, you know, there's something in us, there's the flesh in us that want to do our own thing. But there's also our spirit man that hungers after God, but there's this battle that's constant battle within the flesh and the spirit. One pulling you this way and one pulling you that way. But it's whoever you feed the most that's going to win. So it's a conscious decision to surrender your will to him. And that's what it comes to down to. It's our will, whether we want to or not. It says that Jesus arrived, sorry, as Jesus entered, we too have to enter into that process, a kingdom transformation. We can't observe that from a distance. We have to actually enter into what God is doing. We have to participate, not be spectators. And it says he began. It's a starting point. The Holy Spirit won't override your will. It's only when you surrender. But it's never too late to begin to allow God to change your hearts. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You, it's never too late 
for God to start. No matter the muck-ups that you may have done, there's always a new day in God to begin. He cast and he overthrew things. That word there means to turn upside down, to upset. Oops, did I say that? To upset, to turn around, to reverse or to convert or turn. In order for Jesus to go deeper into our hearts, there has to be a sense of things sometimes of being turned upside down. We God uproots certain things that we've held on to for so long. It could be religious mindsets, old mindsets, idols, all sorts of certain points of view. And sometimes, I, sometimes our viewpoint can become more important than the truth. I remember when I was, uh, as I said, when I was a Catholic, that was more important than the truth at one stage. Because that was what I was. It was part of my identity. And God had to strip that away so that I had a new identity. And I was defined in him and not in what I thought I was. And we have to do the same. You know, we can become so non-flexible and rigid and stubborn holding on to our own position. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you two examples. Paul, or Saul as he was then, he was rigid as, a, as an, uh, a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He had set positions. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was breathing out violent threats. He'd already had Stephen killed. You know, there was a lot of things going on, but he knew he was right. That was his position. But he's traveling along to Samaria, and suddenly he encounters God, and things change. He's had a revelation of who Jesus is. Suddenly, it dawns on him, what must I do, Lord? It says he was trembling. He's had a revelation of what's going on. Now this, he doesn't know what to do. The next two or three days, he's blind, he can't see, but he's broken. And he's repenting and he's asking God to forgive him. And God removes the blindness and he is able to walk into a new freedom of life. See that process that just happened? Have a look at another one. Here's the Pharisees. They, they've got certain positions too. They've had Jesus killed and everything like that. Then suddenly they've had all these guards, these, these guards, Roman guards coming running to them and saying, it's true, it's true, he's risen from the dead. There was an earthquake and, and, and the ground shook and, and light shone from heaven and the, and the angels rolled back and said, we were like dead men. They were just, it was true, you know. Now suddenly this could have been the moment in history they could have changed. They could have thought, my goodness, it's true. But if we change, it's going to look bad for us, isn't it? We just put the guy to death. It's, it's, it's going to really embarrass us if we change. We can't do that. And people look down on us. We've got our positions to hold on to here. See the difference? And yet they never walk through the distance. Imagine if they had changed. What a difference it could have been. But they were so full of pride, they could not make that transition as Paul made it. Anyway, the question is, what will you do with the new revelation that God gives you? What will you do when God speaks to you about a certain area? I want to hold on to my position. Or are you prepared to walk the 
the process into a new freedom. What will you do? It's quite challenging, really. The process can be unsettling, and the danger is that instead of looking to the finish line, we look back at what was. That's how we used to be. You know, it's very difficult to walk forward when your neck's back round like this, because you bump into things, isn't it? You get a sore neck for a start. But a lot of Christians are looking back that way, and they're trying to walk that way, and they wonder why they're stumbling. So we've actually got to leave that behind and start to look and walk forward. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. We look back in the Bible and we see the children of Israel making all those stupid mistakes. I mean, really. I mean, if they only knew they were so close to walking into that promised land, so close, and they miffed it, they muffed it, the silly muffet. Muppets. I mean, that's what we look at because we've got the, the hindsight there. We weren't there. And yet we fail to see that sometimes we are so close to breaking through and yet we're looking back too. We're doing exactly the, what, what they were doing. Are we prepared to leave that behind so we can walk forward into what God is currently doing? Otherwise, we too can miss it and end up going the wrong way. But why upset the status quo? Why not leave everything as it is? And I was pondering on that. You know what the Holy Spirit just dropped in my spirit? He said, because there's no change involved. I thought, hmm, that's quite simple really. There's no change involved. It's either meant I've arrived and don't need to change anymore or I don't know. (laughs) But with God, he's moving constantly and we've got to move with him. Anyway, it's just, why can't we just add, add everything to everything else and on top of it? Wouldn't it be more beneficial? But it's like that new wineskin and old wineskin as we've heard so recently. Can you imagine an athlete running with a pack on his back with all the gear and things like that? I know the army do it, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you do the, imagine yourself in the New York Marathon and you've got all this extra stuff on and you're trying to run all those things and you've got the weight of it. Athletes, they strip everything off to the bare minimum so they can run with freedom without all the stuff dangling off them. And we have to learn to do the same as well. Paul spent quite a number of years after that, that time he was saved, he spent a lot of time actually in God's presence and God had to rewire him before he started his ministry years. And he said later on, I count it all as nothing compared to what I've already gained, which was Christ. And you see, what we have to let go, or what, sorry, what we have to let go, oh, sorry, Paul came to a position where he understood what he had to let go in order to gain Christ. This man had, whose eyes were now opened to a re, new reality that made everything else pale in comparison. Because he saw what was there, he counted, hey, that's nothing, that's pale in comparison to what God is doing. I want that. And I pray that's the same for us as well. And yet we carry so much junk, don't we? We settle for so much less. We, we, we like the westernized candy-coated version of Jesus. 
where we can choose what we want and leave all the hard bits. I mean, that can't be God. And God actually wants to mature us and grow us up so we may walk in a new way. And in John 2, verse, uh, um, John chapter... Uh, oh, I'm not going to read all of that. But anyway, in John it says, it says that Jesus made a whip out of the courts and he drove them out of the temple. And his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your father's house has consumed me or eaten me up. There was a passion about what he did. And he's passionate about us. Did I mention that to you before? I've done it quite a few times tonight. He's passionate about us. Are you starting to get it? Is it starting to register in here how passionate he is about us? He's more passionate than what we are sometimes. (laughs) Anyway, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Or later on it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, For you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple. And he needs to sometimes come in and clean it out so that we're free of hindrances. Let's let him do it. That word zeal in the Greek means jealousy as an act, sorry, as a husband, envy, fervent in mind. So bearing in this in mind, we are his bride. And he is zealous for his bride. And he's coming back for a spotless one, one that is clean and pure. And in order for us to become uncluttered, we need to go through the process. So what did he drive out? Have you ever thought about that? What did he actually drive out? First thing he did was the traders. Those who sold and purchased merchandise. What are the things that we trade out on? Have you ever thought about that? What are the things that when your spirit man says, actually, I'd like to do that. Actually, I'd like to pray and fast. I've never done it before, but but nearer the time, suddenly your flesh says, you can't do that. You've never done it before. You're being crazy. Why would you do that to yourself? And so you listen to that voice and think, mm, well, maybe not. Maybe next time. What's happened is you just trade it out. Same thing with the prayer meetings or whatever like that. Let's come and pray together. Or shall I? Or shouldn't I? Actually, I feel tired tonight. Come on, I've been there. I've done that. I'll be honest with you. I've traded out. What are the things that we trade out on? God's wanting us to to enter in, and yet we go to do it, and then we suddenly think, maybe not. And we miss what God is wanting to do. And doves, doves were the next one. It was one of the cheapest forms of sacrifice, usually sold to those who couldn't afford it very much. You know, we've all been made rich in who? In Christ. There's not one of us who is poor. We've been made rich in Christ as God has done something so wonderful in our hearts. We are all valuable to him. We are all of worth. And yet sometimes we give him just a token or the cheapest sacrifice we can give. We're talking about our hearts worshipping here, not physical things. Do you remember Clay's sermon on worship? When you go down to the root of what it was, the cost that was involved, there was a lawful lot more there. And yet so often we just give them just a token of our heart. 
oh yeah I'll, I'll turn up uh, maybe on a Sunday and, and sing a few songs and things like that. that's not worship worship is a state of heart between him and you whether you're here or at home or wherever it's this engagement then there was the sheep and the cattle that says in John's version they, he drove those out you know he desires obedience rather than sacrifice or burnt offerings Sometimes our worship can be some, so mundane or, or mechanical, meaningless. We can lift up our hands, we can do all sorts of things, but we're thinking about something totally different. We can look good, we can look good on the outside, and yet God wants, is wanting to engage with us. And it's also about obedience, which is really, really important. There's no heart connection. And that's something we have to allow God, time with God, so that we can connect with him. He overturned tables. Now these were used for the exchange of money by brokers who were people who you know, brought animals there. And if they were struggling, they could offer them loans at huge exorbitant interest rates, which is very actually against what the law said. But that's what they were doing. They were exploiting people. They're frightened center and making a packet out of it. They were, they were just doing so well money-wise. It was a roaring trade. And they held a monopoly on it. They could charge whatever they wanted. You see, it was very self-focused and self-driven. I wonder how self-focused we are in our own hearts and lives. You know, it's the sort of attitude that says, what can I get out of this, even if it's at the expense of others? What can I get out of, what will benefit me? God, what, what's going to benefit me if, if I go into this? If, if I allow you to transform my heart, what benefit is it going to be for me? It's a wrong thing. God, I just surrender. Have your way. You see, what can we get out of these uh, things? And it says here, you know, that's why in some ways the charismatic movement died as it did. God was starting to move very powerfully in New Zealand in the 1970s and coming up into the early 80s. But it became very self-focused. Hey, this is my ministry, everybody. Come and gather around me. Come and have a look at my gifts, everybody. Oh, don't, don't let him touch that. You know what I mean? There was this rivalry. There was all sorts of things. But a lot of it was centered around my gift, my needs, my, my, my this, my that, my everything. Pastors had to hold on to their congregations. You know, there was, there was this suddenly this rivalry. But it became very self-centered. And what was benefiting out of themselves rather than everybody. But you know, this is what God showed me too. And this really blew my mind. There was no heart connection with God. Which resulted in no compassion for the welfare of others. And they flow hand in hand. People came to them. They were struggling financially and they had a burden. They wanted to sacrifice something to the Lord. But they'd sell them at huge you know, prices and, and things like that. It became more of a burden. Instead of looking at that person saying, oh, they're struggling. How can we help this person? They were, they were robbing them. There was no cart compassion for other people. And it only comes when you're actually connected with him. I was really convicted when I when the Holy Spirit showed me that and I thought, God, how cold has my heart become towards other people? Because if it's cold towards other people, I wonder if it's 
how cold it is between you and me. I thought, God, I don't want that. Moving right along. (laughs) There were tables were also used for food, which speaks of our appetite. These things that we crave and hunger for. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about all sorts of things, but when they're surrendered to God, how much more powerful will they be? You know, looking at all everybody here, we're all given gifts and talents and all sorts of things, but when they're surrendered to God, it's not a competition, it's not a it's not a rivalry thing, but actually we're able to use everything that we've got in the most beautiful, loving, caring way. And the body thrives together. That's what the early church were known for because they totally surrendered. It wasn't about anything about themselves. It was a beautiful picture that flowed from house to house, turning their world, the known world upside down because their appetite and their hunger was purely for him alone. We don't hear about the power struggles. We don't hear about all those different things that went on. There was loving and caring. There was no need. There were, no, there were people with, you know, anyone that had a need, they all got around them because that love flowed. In Mark, Jesus says also, wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything out with them. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes one of the hardest things we face is carrying things that we ought not to. Christians are terrible at carrying grudges and unforgiveness and all sorts of things like that. We've got to let these things go because we weren't designed to carry them. And if God's love is to be poured out through us and yet we can't love our brother or sister, how can we touch somebody else? Because when hardness of heart comes around, suddenly our viewpoint, our views become very muddy and dirty. We see through distorted lenses until that area is actually cleaned up and then we can love. Transformation is about transforming all areas, not just some. He looked at all things, nothing was hidden. And for us to work together as a body, we have to allow God's love to consume us so that we don't take offense against another part of the body. We have to allow God's grace to flow through us so that we contend for the truth without becoming divided or torn apart. Can we do that? Can we lovingly contend for the truth? And Jesus warned us that offenses will come. The question is, how will you react when they do? Because you won't be immune from them. That will happen. But how will you handle it? I also read that when I was doing research on it, it was often that market area was where people did shortcuts through to get from one point to the other. It's the same thing here. We want the shortcuts, just as I said at the beginning. But God actually wants to. God's not into building one-minute wonders, but those who last the distance, and that's you and I. And finally, what did Jesus say we are? What did he say we are? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Why is that so important? Why why is our hearts designed to be a house of prayer? So there's that connection with him, that intimacy. 
You get rid of all that other stuff. It was designed for praying. You were designed with the capacity to connect with God and to pray. And this is really the whole climax of the whole cleaning out message, if you like. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within within us. But he can't share our hearts with everything else. We have to let it go. We were separated out for him as a bride for her husband. We belong to God. And God gave us the capacity to pray, to engage and to commune with him. That intimacy comes through prayer. And prayer transforms us as we spend time in his presence. Do you see how it's all linked? And yet so many Christians struggle to pray. The enemy tells you it's too difficult. It takes too long. You'll never get anywhere. It's boring. It's hopeless. And he will do everything he can to stop you having that closeness. And yet God designed our hearts to the capacity to commune with him. And prayer is part of that transforming process. Because it's when we're actually with him, suddenly our eyes begin to open the more we begin to see. The more we begin to see, our spirit begins to become more in tune with him and what he's establishing, not just us. See, our world is far too small sometimes. See, God is global. And he wants us to learn how to rule and to reign over this, his world. But first, it begins in here. If we can't rule and reign over our own heart, how can we be expected to rule and reign with what God wants? And this is what God is preparing us in our hearts to do. And it's during those times of prayer that God begins the process to transform. Sight to see, to have revelation. Certain areas of our lives that need adjusting. Brokenness and repentance and the confessing. And allowing God's spirit to renew our minds so that we walk in the light of the truth which fills us with a new sense of joy and peace. It's really... Prayer is a temperature gauge for every church about where we are. You know, my heart's desire is to see this place praying in ways that we've never seen before. You know, even before the service, we had an incredible time of praying this morning. It started off a bit difficult at times, but then it just lifted as the musicians began to worship and just release And as we began to declare and and decree things around the place, God's presence was here. We could feel the atmosphere shift and change. But you know there was probably about 20? Now that's not to shame you guys. That's not what I'm trying to say here. What I'm saying is, can you picture this place? 400 people out there praying an hour before the service. Can you imagine what would be happening not just in this place but in the nation? 400 people crying out to God in the, you know, not wimpy little prayers but governmental prayers decreeing and decreeing what God is doing in this land. Boy, the atmosphere would be different. People would be getting saved as they drive on the motorway. They haven't even come here. They don't even know about us. You know what I mean? Things will be changed because atmospheres over the city are broken. When we have mountain movers, when we're called to pray, imagine this place packed out with people interceding. I know people have you know, families and all sorts of things like that, but try and engage your heart. Man, I want to enter in. How do I learn how to pray? 
Have you ever asked that? How do I grow in prayer? How do I do these things? That's why we walk together to find out and to encourage and help each other. It's okay if you're struggling with it, but let's not stay there. Let's talk about it with each other. And prayer is such a key. What would it be like if we all prayed as one? Would the place be shaken as it was in Acts? Mind you, I don't know whether in Wellington it's a, <laughs> a good idea, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Could you imagine what it would be like? Man, imagine the strongholds broken over this place. Imagine the prayers, the doors being unlocked that previously were shut. Imagine the chains falling off. Imagine the depression and the heaviness being destroyed over people's lives. Ceilings removed. New passions for intimacy with God, hunger for God's word, and compassion for the lost. And that's just the beginning. What would it be like? But it all comes back to one thing. I wonder if the musicians could come. And that is allowing the kingdom process to start in our hearts so that we can be transformed for the finish. Because that's what God wants to do. He's transforming your hearts and lives for the finish. It's not a short-sighted little thing. It's for the finish. And he wants to do that. He's in it for the long haul, and I pray that you too would develop that kingdom-finishing mentality in you. So let's embrace the process together and walk together. Wow, what a body we are becoming. Amen. Do you see that? Let's stand. <clears throat> I'm going to ask in a minute um, LJ and David to minister to us with a song. And I just want us to listen to it. And I, we did it at Mountain Movers, and it was a very powerful song. And then people started just joining in, and just it just lifted up. And today, I just don't want you to feel, gosh, you know, I'm, I don't want you to walk away heavy with us. I want you to actually embrace what God wants to do, because it's the most exciting journey out that you can encounter. It starts with Him. This is not just an emotional thing that you're going to be emotionally touched for a minute because you can be emotionally touched and never change. It's actually God working deep in your lives. And that's one-on-one -on -one with Him. And I want you to position your hearts. As I sing this song, I just want you to position yourself before God and then just allowing His Spirit to minister to you.